0: Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Wow! Good morning, Renew Life. Come on, anybody love Jesus in this place today? Come on, if you love him, why don't you give him a hand clap of praise? Come on, this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know about you. I'm not just excited to be in church. I am Red Bull excited and espresso so elated. I'm telling you, I've been waiting with tiptoe anticipation uh, just to get my chocolate face into place today. We're going to have fun in here, in the first service, the first service. No doubt in my mind who the spiritual people are Ever new life. Come on, statistical fact. Come on, that the spiritual people come to the first service. But no, I uh, I'm honored to be here, and I really already feel like, I'm a part of the Renew Life family because we are in Midland, Texas, and I'm from Dallas, Texas. Come on, somebody. I'm your cousin just down the street. So it's, it's awesome to be in a church where we agree that Jesus is Lord and that the Cowboys are God and America's team. So it's just, just good to get that out there. But, uh, no, I'm honored to be here, and I really want to— uh, Give honor to where honor is doing. Thank God for your awesome pastor. We did just meet, but I feel like he's going to be my white chocolate brother from another mother. I'm so appreciative of his vision. Everything rises and falls is on leadership and on vision. It's pretty amazing. I don't know if you heard what he said. 21 acres? Come on, that God has blessed you with. Come on. There's greater in front of you and what's been behind you. Help me thank God for Braden and Leanne for who they are. Come on. Do you love your pastors? Y'all could do better than that, man. Come on. Thank God for you, man. I'm glad to be here. Hey, I want to jump straight to the word God has given me. Uh, I see a countdown clock, and I hope you feel like hearing this like I feel like preaching it. Uh, This is a message and a word that I preach to myself uh, at least once a month. So uh, I know it's going to bless you. Uh, I want you to look at two passages of Scripture today. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and also 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 9. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and then 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. How many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you've never heard me preach? Yeah, that's everybody. Uh, (laughs) Quick disclaimer uh, I am a little bit of a hollow back preacher. All that means is I preach better and shorter. Uh, when you get verbally involved, okay, if anything I say over these next 30 minutes resonates with you, you can say amen, you can say preach that, you can say that was good, you could grunt, uh, you could uh, literally stand up in the middle and go, oh, that was for me. <laughs> you could also stand up in the middle and go, oh, that was for you. For real, you needed that. <laughs> Any one of those will work. But have a brother out today. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1, when you're ready to read it, say, yeah. You need some time? Say, hold up. Awesome. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What an awesome thought to consider, that God has set a race before each and every one of us And we are required to run that race. How do we do it? The writer of Hebrews tells us we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Can you say amen? Amen. And then a quick narrative out of 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 9. And I'm reading uh, from Eugene Peterson's message translation. And it says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it and did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. I'm not really sure what a lute is, but I'm assuming it's like a flute without the F. And... (laughs) profound, I know. And it says, in playful frolic, in playful frolic, that made me laugh, because you know it's a party when people are taking the time to frolic, okay? In playful frolic, the women saying, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. This made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, huh, they credit David with ten thousands, but me with only thousands? Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. And from that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. I don't want to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But I do want you just for a moment to see these two passages of Scripture in parallel. Because here we have the writer of Hebrews who says, hey, there's a race that's been set before each and every one of us. And we run the race by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. Jesus. But here we have Saul because of a comparison that these ladies made, no longer is he running his race focused on his assignment, but comparison is so strong. It caused Saul to focus all of his attention, all of his energy on David. I want to preach today using this as a title, On Their Mark. If you're a note taker, that's my title, On Their Mark. I realize when you're running a race, they say get on your mark, but I'm finding many people in the body of Christ cannot run the race God has set before them simply because they have their eyes on the people in the lanes beside them. So instead of being on your mark, you're on. Ooh, this is going to be good up in here today. Come on, would you bow your heads? Let's pray. It's going to be a long prayer. Uh, so just bear with me. God, you are awesome. Speak this morning. Amen. Amen. <laughs> on their mark quick quick little sermonic survey before we really delve into this how many of you would say just by a showing of hands that you like to work out you enjoy exercise can i see your hand like to work out oh come on somebody look at these hands healthy church like to work out okay you can put it down how many would say by a showing of hands that you do not like to work out you don't enjoy exercise can i see your hand come on don't lie in church now (laughs) all right awesome uh, those of you who lifted up your hand the first time, the first time, saying that you like to work out, that you actually enjoy exercise, you are officially dismissed from this service, okay? <laughs> no, you can leave. As a matter of fact, run home, okay? <laughs> Because I have now found some camaraderie and some commonality with the second group of people. Y'all are my people, okay? I will lift up both hands, both feet, tell the truth, and shame the devil, okay? I do not like to work out. There is absolutely nothing in me that finds enjoyment or pleasure in going to the gym. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to work out was as a result of the fall of man. Oh, I'm serious. I'm so serious. People, there were no gems in Genesis, okay? There were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden, all right? You can't have Pilates and have paradise. God, God, in his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power, created us originally as perfectly perfect humans. Perfectly perfect. That means Adam had biceps. He had triceps. Uh, He didn't have a one-pack. He had a six-pack. Ladies, Eve had 0% body fat. 0%. Zero percent. Somebody like, uh-uh, Robert, what's your scripture for that? Oh, I'll give you some scripture. I'll give you scripture. The Bible says, the Bible says they were both naked and unashamed. Come on, somebody, you only walk around naked if you got it going on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was not, it was not until they took up the forbidden fruit that sin and calories entered into the world. So I don't like to work out, I don't like to work out, but I do work out, I do work out. And uh, the reason I do what I hate is because of what I love, which is to eat, okay? I love to eat. I'm a much better eater than I am a faster, okay? Don't hate on me, that's my spiritual gift. And whenever I go to the gym, I actually enjoy lifting weights. I love to lift. There's something manly about putting on Old Spice and lifting iron, okay? I like to lift, but how many, you know, lifting does not burn the calories, do not burn the calories. You got to do cardio, which means you have to engage in an evil three letter word called run. New life. This is my issue. Okay. I hate to run. I just, running. I cannot articulate to you how much I hate to run. I hate that run runs with fun because there is nothing fun to me about running, okay? Whenever I do run, I convince my mind I have asthma just so I can stop running, okay? <laughs> so, for me to get on the treadmill is a big deal and I need a lot of motivation. I gotta have a Nike Just Do It t-shirt, motivational music. I got the eye of a tiger. I need all that just to get on the treadmill. And once I get on the treadmill, I will start at a good glacial pace and I'll be going and I'm like, oh, this is easy. This is awesome. I've been running for like, feels like 30 minutes. Then I look at the screen, it's like three minutes. I'm like, my asthma, I can't do this. I'm gonna die today. So uh, I've developed this move, and I'm letting out my secrets today. I've developed this move as a mechanism for motivation to keep running on the treadmill. True story, as I'm running on the treadmill, wanting to quit and throwing the towel, I will just slowly look to the right, And then I will look to the left and I will just peruse the aisle of other people who are running on their treadmills. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody, anybody, a much older than me body. And once I found that random person, I will lock my eye in on that person and I will say something to them. Not out loud, but in my mind, real loud. I will say to them, "Psh, you don't want none. Now, (laughs) let me explain what just happened when I said, "Psh, you don't want none. When I said that, unbeknownst to that person, we just entered into a race. Oh, you're going to act like I'm the only one that does this. Okay. Like like when I said that, this workout just got real. Okay. As soon as I made that declaration, the entire gymnasium has now been transformed to the 2017 Olympics. And the first person to get off the treadmill is going home with the silver. And the one that stays on the longest is going home with the gold. And I'm going to get the gold because I'm a child of God. Plus, I'm American. All we do is win, 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 no matter what. Can I get a witness up in here on a Sunday morning? (laughs) (laughs) True story. So true. And it really helps me when the person is right next to me because then I can see their screen and see exactly how fast they're going. You know what I'm saying? So it's even. So if they're on level six, I'm on level six. Point one. And uh, if they speed up, I'm going to speed up. If they go on the incline, I'm going to incline. If they stop and take a break, I'm going to stop and take a break. Oh, yes, I'm not going to keep running while they stop and take a break. That's cheating. You can't cheat in the Olympics. This is a global event. So whatever they do, I will do it and I'll wait for it. And as soon as they press stop and get off, I will speed on up to the fastest level because you gotta sprint to the finish line. Then I'll press stop, jump off, grab my towel, and shout, we got the gold, and rejoice in my sweet victory. (laughs) I wish I was lying, but I'm keeping it so real with y'all today. As a matter of fact, I beat a guy a couple of weeks ago, random guy, beat him bad too. And I saw him, saw him in the locker room afterwards. I was like, hey man, how are you? He said, I'm good, how are you? I said, I'm great. In fact, I'm golden. Loser, it was (laughs) awesome. And uh, you laugh because it's uh, it's funny, it's it's comical when you talk about comparing yourself to other people in the gym, comparing yourself to other people when you're doing exercise. But how many of you know it's not so funny when you talk about comparing yourself to other people in life? And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what I'm afraid today's message mandates is that you introspectively ask the critical question: Who are you racing? Who are you racing? I'm just wondering, who in your life have you set your eye on and you are running your race according to their pace instead of doing the thing that God has called you to do, instead of chasing after the purpose and the assignment that God has placed on your life? I just came to warn you today that the comparison game is a dangerous game to play. I don't know whether you notice this or not when you're running, which is another reason why I hate running on a treadmill. Have you noticed on a treadmill you're doing a whole lot of moving, a whole lot of breathing, a whole lot of sweat, but you ain't going anywhere. You're in the exact same position the entire time. What a beautiful metaphor for comparing yourself to other people. Because whenever you compare yourself to somebody else, all you end up doing is exerting a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual energy. Trying to keep up and compete with somebody you were never called or created to be. And at the end of all of it, you realize, I'm in the exact same position I was when I first got started. I'm preaching better than y'all are talking in here today. As a matter of fact, I, I'm actually doing something a great mentor in my life told me that I'll never forget. He said, Robert, whenever you preach, just preach from your weakness, because you'll never lack for material to preach. <laughs> preaching from my weakness today, because I found in my own life, in my own life, as I'm running the race God has set before me, I have an inner proclivity and tendency to look at the people in the lanes beside me. Hear me, Renew Life. I am convinced that comparison, comparison is the number one destroyer of destiny. I am convinced that the enemy's number one weapon of mass distraction and mass destruction is to get you to compare yourself to somebody else. It's his number one weapon because after all that's what got him kicked out of heaven Satan, Lucifer, you know he used to be on the praise and worship team of heaven. It all started with comparison. He was created to be a conduit, to be an expression of God's glory. But he starts comparing himself to God and said, I will exalt my throne above the most high. And that's what got him fired and dismissed. And now his job is to kill, steal, and destroy from you and I. And that's exactly what comparison will do. It will kill your joy. It will steal your peace. It will suffocate your sanity. Comparison is the thief of joy comparison is like cancer to contentment. I love the Apostle Paul. I love when he starts bringing order and structure to the church of Corinth because he warns them emphatically about the danger of comparison. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Paul says this, For we dare not, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says, you are stupid. You are foolish. You are cray-cray if you are playing the comparison game. And do you know why comparison is not wise? Hear my heart today. Because comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Ooh, that was so nice, I'm going to say it twice. <laughs> comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Meaning, if you ever want to be confused about what God has called you to do, then just start comparing yourself to what other people have been called to do. First of all, let's just establish today that there has been a call that has been placed on your life. Oh, come on. I hope you know that renew life. There is a call on your life, a purpose for your life, a mandate on your life. You do know that Jesus did not come from heaven to earth, die on the cross, get up from the grave so we could have cute church services, sing songs off a screen like it's Christian karaoke, and you just sit on your blessed assurance and do nothing. But you do know that there is a call for your life. There is a purpose on your life. There is a divine assignment on your life. Come on. If you got a pulse? That pulse is proof positive that God is not through with you yet because there's something that he has ordained you to do before the foundation of the earth. There is, I feel like preaching now, there is a call that is on your life. A call, not a random call, but a call that is so unique. A call that is so specific. A call that is so idiosyncratic that only you can do the thing that God has put you on this earth to do. Come on, your mama can't do it. Your father can't do it. Your sister can't do it. Your crazy cousin can't do it. Only you can do the thing that God has uniquely called and created you to do. Not only that, not only that, God has already given you everything you need to accomplish your call that's shouting stuff right there. To think, to think that everything I need to do what God has called me to do, it's already in me. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, it is already in you. You don't have to look outside of yourself. You don't have to hashtag hate on anybody. You don't have to be jealous of anybody. If you don't have something, God knew you didn't need it to do what he's called you to do. Come on, that means if you're supposed to be taller, guess what? He would have made you taller. If you're supposed to be faster, he would have made you faster. If you're supposed to sing, he would have given you a voice. If you're supposed to be Midland's next top model, he he would have made you cuter. Hello, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. (laughs) If you were supposed to be black, he would have made you black. If you were supposed to be white, he would have made you white. If you were supposed to be Latino, buenos dias, he would have made you Latino. You got everything you need on the inside of you. Stop complaining to the master about the pieces you didn't get and just start praising him that you're a masterpiece. Oh, come on, somebody. You are a masterpiece. You have been carefully created and meticulously made by a God who is obsessed with you. You are a masterpiece. Oh, I feel like preaching. My right toe is tingling. I'm telling you. Let Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon so you can engage in a verbal exercise. Would you say this? Say, I am a masterpiece. Say it like you believe it. Come on. Say, I am a masterpiece. Come on. Say it like you got faith and power. Say, I am a masterpiece. I'm telling you, if that got in your heart and not just in your head, it would change the way you walk into a room. It would change the way you feel about yourself. To know that you are a masterpiece created by the greatest artist who is God. As a matter of fact, if you got ridiculous faith, when you go to work or school or wherever you're going tomorrow, I dare you to take some velvet rope and put it around you. And when people say, why you got that velvet rope? Say, oh, you didn't know? I'm a masterpiece. There was a God that created me. Picasso can't touch him. Leonardo da Vinci has nothing on the God that formed me. Ah, I- I'm a masterpiece. Woo. Are y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. It's blessing me. The masterpiece. Be happy to be who God uniquely and distinctly called and created you to be. Now, hear me. When I say you're a masterpiece, that is not preacher hype. That's not feel-good phraseology. That's not cute self-help talk. You understand? That is the Word of God. You don't believe me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. That means God is a strategic God and He has already marked out a path and a lane for all of us to run in. And all you have to do, watch this, all you got to do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. All you got to do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. I just made faith, Christianity, so simplistic. All you got to do is stay in your lane. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Ooh, that's really my entire message today. The rest are just fluff. I came all the way from Dallas, Texas to Midland, Texas to tell you two things. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's literally all I got. Matter of fact, I'm done. God bless you. It's been so good being with you today. No. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so simple and it sounds so elementary, but I'm finding that is the most difficult thing for people to do just to stay in their lane and keep their eyes on Jesus. That is difficult for people to do. Come on, let's just think practically today. How many of you have ever been stuck in traffic? Anybody ever been stuck in traffic? Okay. Isn't it funny and a phenomenon, whenever you are stuck in traffic, you always, always feel like the lanes beside you Ah! Are the ones that are moving faster? And what do you do? What do you do? You almost wreck your car trying to get in somebody else's lane, and you would have been better off just staying in your lane. God told me to tell you don't wreck your life trying to get in somebody else's lane. Just stay in your lane. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your lane. Your lane. Your lane. Your lane. Because the day, the day you start running your race like this, Oh, the day you start running your race like this, let me just prophesy to you, there is a crash in your future. (laughs) (laughs) Selah, no wonder, no wonder Saul has such a huge crash because comparison caused him to shift all of his focus, all of his attention on the David. Now, make no doubt about it. There was a season in Saul's life where he was in his lane and he was running his own race. Don't get it twisted now. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed and appointed by God to be king. I love when the Bible starts talking about Saul because the Bible uses very picturesque language. It says that Saul looked like a king. It says that he stood a head and shoulders above any other person. In fact, the Bible says he was good looking. Come on, somebody. When the Bible says you're good looking, (laughs) nobody can tell you you're ugly, okay? (laughs) Nobody. You'll tell them. Just read the word. You already know this selfie is for you. So (laughs) he looked like a king and he talked like a king and he had king swag and and God just blessed him. God blessed him to be king. But I found out even in my own life, you got to be real careful with the blessing of God. Because if the brightness of the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it is no longer a blessing. It has become a curse. And the brightness of the blessing blinded Saul to the blesser. So much so, he was more concerned with being the king than he was with a worshiping the king of kings. He was more concerned with keeping his position than he was with chasing after God's presence. So God had to remove the kingship away from him. But there was another young boy out on the outskirts of Jerusalem and all he cared about was being in the presence of God. He didn't care about a title. He didn't care about likes on Instagram or retweets. All he cared about was being in the presence of God. Even after his family alienated him and ostracized him and said, just go watch the stinky sheep. He is out there with the stinky sheep playing his harp, just singing worship songs to. God. Until one day his dad sends him a text message and says, hey, can you go to the battlefield and bring your brothers a ham and cheese sandwich? And when he gets to the battlefield with the ham and cheese sandwich, he sees a giant who is big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it. And he says, wait a minute, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Oh, I love David. He's gangster because that's Christian cussing right there, okay? <laughs> that is classic Christian cussing. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He said, no, I ain't going to be quiet. Y'all going to let him talk about my God in front of Everybody! Oh, no, not today. Where is my slingshot? I'm about to knock you out. Mama said knock you out. You're going to get knocked out today. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was so selfish as a communicator. That was more for me than it was for you. It was so funny to watch some of your faces go, I ain't never read that version before in my life. <laughs> Let me help you today. That's the NIV, okay? Negro International Version. It's a different translation. <laughs> You know the story. He releases that rock from his slingshot It hits Goliath in the forehead. Goliath comes crashing to the ground. And the day Goliath hit that ground, David rose up. It was a destiny moment. You do know that all moments in your life are not created equal. There are some destiny moments where everything shifts, where everything changes. In a moment, David was catapulted from obscurity into notoriety. Everybody knew David's name. He is trending on the internet now. They're saying, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Kids are rewatching the fight on YouTube. Tell my mama, I got to get those David sneakers. They come out next week. You know, they're going to be sold out. This is a big moment for David. He has finally arrived. Everybody wants a picture with him. Everybody wants a selfie with him. Come on, you understand when he defeated Goliath, he became a rock star literally rock star church jokes. I'm just trying to keep you engaged. Cut off his head. The buzzard had sounded. The fight was over. The wicked witch was dead. The only problem is Saul didn't like what the lady started singing. He says, Saul has killed the thousands. But David, his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he went from running his race like this fixing his eyes on the David. Therefore, Saul is a case study of the downward spiral of what comparison will always do to your life because comparison is always the beginning of the end. Okay, all of that was my introduction. (laughs) I'm being so real. But, But just for a couple of minutes, I want to show you how Saul's speech, what he said, teaches us how comparison will always creep into your heart. Note what Saul said after the ladies sang their song. He goes, huh, you're going to credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Hold up, hold up, hold up. Y'all are going to credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Did you hear it? Hear how comparison starts? Comparison always starts with this phrase, But but me. He, but me. He, but me. See, Saul can't separate David's life from his life, nor can he separate David's success from his success. He immediately connects what's going on with David back to him. He but me. Have you ever met a but me person? These are the people that see everything in life through the lens of but me. I call them but me people because no matter what's going on with somebody else, they will find a way to connect it back to them because they're always thinking about them. I call them but me people. That's good for you, what about me? They think about me, they talk about me, they invite me, they post about me, what about me, they think about me, what about you you know their but keeps getting in the way. Come on, you English majors know that but is a conjunction. Conjunction, junction. Somebody watch Schoolhouse Rock, what's your function? (laughs) Hooking up phrases and clauses and making them sound right. That's what some people do in life. They connect what's going on with other people back to them. And that is the quickest way to lose your joy and your peace. Hold on. Let me give you a visual. I'm talking about people who are completely blinded by but me these are my but me glasses now if i fall off the stage please don't laugh because i can't see anything right now because i am completely blinded by but me and hear me renew life nothing will blind you to who jesus is nothing will stop you from running your race like a but me attitude come on the focus of your life is not supposed to be on you you're supposed to fix your eyes on jesus so you can run the race he set before you Oh, come on, somebody. If you'll get your eyes off of you, you can do what God's called you to do. There's a trick of the enemy to get you to buy into the "butt me mentality. And man, it'll rob you of your joy, rob you of your peace. Saul has on the "butt me glasses. Ooh, I wish I had time. Let me give you some, some hints, some blues clues, if you will, that'll let you know you might have on the "butt me glasses. If you have a hard time celebrating the successes of other people, you might have on the button me glasses. If you are stingy with your compliments and you think to compliment or commend somebody else somehow take something from you, you got on the but-me glasses. If there is anybody in your life, anybody in your life that secretly you would find joy or happiness in their failure, that's the person you're racing you got on the butt me glasses. Ooh, it's quiet in here. And can we be honest? Isn't it so easy to put the butt me glasses on? Come on, I'm preaching this to you because I had to preach it to me. It's so easy in our culture today to put on the butt me glasses, especially in our culture today, this culture of social media. Huh, social me-ia. Some of get that tomorrow you got so many devices where you can see what everybody has what everybody's doing with a click of a button we are constantly inundated with everybody else's life facebook instagram twitter snapchat snapchat live facebook live we are so instantly inundated with everybody else's life and if you're not careful it will make you start to hate yours come on can we be honest isn't it funny how our awareness accelerates our discontentment can you imagine oh can you imagine how happy you would be if you just didn't know but you got notifications on your smart device that's making you stupid Come on, you were so happy. You were so happy with your vacation, weren't you? To Paris, Texas, weren't you? <laughs> you're like, woo, it's going to be a good vacation. Kids get in the car. We're going to Paris, Texas. <laughs> so you got on Facebook and saw one of your good friends going to Paris, France. And you're like, ah, oh, but me. I hate my life. I don't want to be in Paris. Texas, why didn't put a Paris in Texas anyway? Stupid. Telling you, but me. I'm not hating on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. I think it's all awesome. I'll be on it after the service. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, and quite frankly, I'm scared as to what it's creating. I'm wondering if the screens on our phones and our computers and our iPads have now become mirrors by which we constantly check for reflection to see if we measure up to somebody else. And like a scene stolen from Snow White, we all silently echo the words of the wicked witch who, by the way, check the mirror every day just to see mirror, mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all. Only today it's mirror, mirror on Facebook. Tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram. Tell me who I really am. And we keep checking every second, every minute, all day, every day in church. Preach, Robert. This is a good sermon. (laughs) Eat lunch. Just wonder what our lives would look like if we reflected on the word of God. By the way, the book of James calls a mirror. Maybe then we can get in our lane, fix our eyes on Jesus, and run the race he set before us. Come on, somebody. It's time for the body of Christ to get on your mark, not theirs. I'm done. This is my for real close. Every preacher has like five closes. This is my real one. But I thought it would be an injustice to this message to not give you the story behind the catalyst or the impetus of this message, because I can't preach stuff out that God hadn't hit me upside the head with. The way this whole message got started was in the not-too-distant past. I had this incredible opportunity to preach at this conference in Sydney, Australia. At the time, it was my assignment to preach to the youth and the young adults of this conference. It was like some six or 7,000 young people that had gathered for the conference. And I remember being so excited to go to Australia. I was like, ooh, I'm about to go to Australia. Ooh, I'm about to see some kangaroos and preach Jesus. This is going to be a good week. And in conjunction with the young people having their conference, there's also the main stage part of the conference. For main stage, some 30,000 people gather in an arena in Sydney, Australia for main stage. And the people that have preaching main stage are people who are really struggling. Uh, to get their ministries off of the ground. Uh, People like Bishop T.D. Jakes, (laughs) Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, and Rick Warren. So I said, this is going to be an awesome week. I'm going to preach to the youth and young adults and listen to these great men and women of God preach. So I'm sitting in that arena. My wife was there with me. My wife and I knew something that the other 30,000 people didn't know yet. And that was just before it arrived to Australia to just preach to the youth and young adults. I'd actually received an invitation to preach main stage at that conference the next year. So I'm sitting in that arena and I'm looking around, I'm kind of taking everything in, and all of a sudden they show the promotional video for the uh, next year's conference. And again, it's all these big names, big, names, huge, that massive. Abraham Lincoln was one of the speakers that they were gonna have <laughs> at the conference. Then my name comes up on the screen, and the pastor, the leader of the conference, he almost had to qualify, and he said, There's one name you probably did not recognize on the list. He said it's Robert Madu. He said he'll be one of the youngest speakers we've ever had to preach main stage. Then he pauses. True story. And goes, and you know what? I think I might let you all get a preview of his preaching on this stage in this arena this week. Now, that would have been cool. That would have been cool if I wasn't finding out in that moment with the other 30,000 people in the arena, immediately my heart went down into my foot. I start sweating. I see the pastor after the service. He goes, mate, did you hear my announcement? I go, yes, I did. He says, true story. He says, I'm thinking tomorrow after Bishop T.D. Jakes preaches. You could get up and preach for like 10 minutes as a preview for next year's conference. He goes, what do you think about that? I went, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Went to the hotel room that night, true story. Fell on the ground in the fetal position. Tears coming down my face. I can't do this. I can't do this. Why would he tell me this now? He could have told me this 30 years ago. What's wrong with him? You have had one of those moments where you felt so overwhelmed, intimidated, that your voice goes to Mickey Mouse range? <laughs> My wife is the best. She's my CEO. She's my chief encouragement officer. She said, babe, it's okay. You can do it. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. Called my dad up for some support. He's here. You know, my dad is from Nigeria. He came to America, like Eddie Murphy in the movie. And <laughs> he met my mom, who's American. So, you know, when your dad's African, your mother's American, that makes you just what I am. And... <laughs> called him up for some support I never forget what he said. He said, son, you can do this before the foundation of the earth. God knew you would be there. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do this, boy. You can do it. I said, no, I can't. No, I can't. So nervous. So intimidated. Before I got on stage in that arena, I had a conversation that I often have with myself. I paused for a moment. I said, wait a minute. Who opened this door? Who opened this door? God did. Who did they ask to speak? me i can only be me so i got up there and for 10 minutes i was me when i got off the stage and started studying this text i felt like the holy spirit impressed upon me a critical question the holy spirit said robert would you like to know the real reason why you fell on the ground in the fetal position with tears coming down your face I thought to myself a real real uh, no <laughs> i know the real reason there were thirty thousand people in the arena the holy spirit said no that's actually not the real reason so, the real reason you felt that weight of intimidation is because when you were listening to all those other names preach, you weren't listening to the Word of God you were comparing how they run their race to the way I've called you to run your race. And that's why you felt that weight of intimidation. So let that be the last time that tears come down your face because you're playing the comparison game. And why don't you just rest in the fact that I have given you a grace to run your race. There is a grace to run your race. Somebody needs to hear that today. I said there is a grace to run your race. Come on, I got an announcement. I'm glad to make a new life. I hope it don't stop me from coming back. But can I tell y'all, I am a horrible T.D. Jakes. I am the worst Joel Osteen you have ever seen in your life. I'm not a good Billy Graham. I'm not a good Rick Warren. I'm a terrible Pastor Braden. Y'all know I'm not a good Joyce Meyer, but there's one thing I know beyond the shadow of a doubt. I am the best Robert Madu you have ever seen in your life. Come on, somebody. I gotta be me and you gotta be you. Is there anybody in this place that's ready to get in your lane, fix your eyes on Jesus, and run the race that he set me? for you. Oh, come on, somebody give our God some praise in this place today. Run your race. Run your race. Be happy to be who God created who called you to be. Would you bow your hands? Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for this community. God, I pray today you would help us to keep our eyes on you. God, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister, who the enemy has blinded them with but me. Jesus, I pray today we would fix our eyes back on you. Do what that old school song says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And God, I thank you. You're going to give us the strength and the grace to run our race. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.